Hello and welcome to the Agility Transformation Podcast, where we talk about ways to help transformations be sustainable. My name is Kelly Fide. I'm both an enterprise agile coach and an executive leadership coach. I work with talented people and organizations who are ready to grow, and I love finding the best in people and helping them hold themselves accountable to that. So my guest's name for today is Ashish Chandra. He describes himself as both a teacher and a learner at the same time, which immediately caught my interest. He's a colleague of mine at Infosys in the EQS group, Enterprise Quality Services, so you'll hear us mention EQS a couple of times. So some of the very interesting topics that we covered were, what does it mean to be a teacher and learner at the same time? And what's the importance of trust and how do you develop that in transformation work, whether it's agile transformation or organizational transformation? Then we moved on to what's our job as transformation agents and agile coaches and actually what's not our job? So that was really inspiring. We also talked about how sometimes we see dogmatism in conversations around transformation and Agile, like my version of Agile is better than your version. Um, so how do we help our clients move beyond dogmatism? Um, and then that, of course, uh, well, I don't know about of course, kind of, of course, led us to the topic of emotional intelligence for Agile coaching and transformation work. And we um, uh, reference the work of William Urey, who um, talks a lot about that. We didn't mention Daniel Goleman, but I'm mentioning him here because he's a very important thinker in emotional intelligence. And then we finished up by talking about what does it mean to be focused, centered, and present as a transformation agent, that it, it kind of starts with ourselves in a lot of ways. And he shared that he used to be kind of hot-tempered uh, which I found hard to believe, he's such a nice guy, but uh, he said he actually got into meditation and vipassana meditation, and uh, so that of course also caught my interest because I meditate as well and find it so beneficial in so many ways. In this episode, my sound quality is really bad, sorry. I cleaned it up as much as I could, and in Agile, we say that failure is okay as long as we fail in short cycles and learn from it. So instead of not posting this really interesting interview, I'm posting it for you. And I will promise for future episodes, I will always remember to turn on the right microphone. So thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the next installation of the EQS podcast. I think this is the third or fourth, I'm not really sure. I'm here with Ashish Chandra, who started um, 15 years ago at Infosys, and he was a campus hire. He left 10 years ago and then returned to Infosys last year, and he divides his time between consulting and then um, managing products and product development. So he's been with EQS for 11 months. Um, so uh, Ashish, can you introduce yourself and tell us something about you that people would never guess, maybe the thing we were actually talking about. Sure. So Kelly has given me kind of a script to follow, so I'll try to follow that. So sure. my, my name is Ashish. <laughs> my name is Ashish, and uh, I've been working in the industry for a while. And Kelly asked me to describe myself in a word. I'll take two words. I like to call myself a teacher and a student at the same time. Uh, because I actually do teach. It's a, it's a hobby of mine. I teach in schools and colleges. And really? 
Yes. And uh, being an agile coach, you never really stop learning. In fact, you learn every day on the job. So I think I like to introduce myself as a teacher and a learner at the same time. And something interesting about me, which probably you will never guess if you meet me in person is that one, I cut my own hair. I've been doing so for a very long time. Really? <laughs> at it. it looks pretty professional, actually. Yeah, practice makes a man perfect. And um, I used to be in a band way back in my college days. So yeah, two things that you will probably yeah. never guess about me when you meet me. Okay, forget about Agile. I need to ask about the band. No, <laughs> kind of. What do you play? What did you play in the band? I was actually the lead singer. So uh, I had a group of very talented friends who used to, you know, play the guitar and the drums, and they just needed somebody to kind of carry the vocals for them. And thankfully I was around and I used to do it with them. So I can't play an instrument to save my life. <laughs> so what kind of music um, did they play and did you sing? Like it was folk? classic rock. It was classic rock. And uh, wow. yes, and uh, a bit of, uh, you know, this was way back uh, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s. So at that point in time, the Indian rock scene and the pop scene was also coming up quite a bit. So for those of you who are from India, you'll recognize this. So we used to do a lot of Silk Route and Lucky Ali. Uh, and that was used to be really popular. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds super fun. Do you have any recordings of your group like on YouTube? Uh, no. So there are some tapes that I have lying around. Maybe one of these days I need to do something about it. That would be super fun to see. We have a really talented group and a really diverse group. There's oh, I agree. In the group, and then there's some marathon runners and athletes. Yeah, it's a fun group to be part of. So you're telling me that you used to live in Illinois or Chicago. Where what were you doing? Right. Where? So actually, I spent time along the shores of Lake Madison due to different projects, and all put together, I think about I spent about two years living around that area. So I've spent time in Milwaukee, I've spent time in Madison, and I spent about a year in Chicago. And when I was in Chicago, I was actually staying in the Loop area itself. And oh. uh, this was when I was, yeah. So <laughs> I was a part of, so it was nice. And uh, so I have seen how lovely the winters can be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was and I was lucky enough to also be there for a summer. So I've seen the seasons that city has to offer. That's a beautiful city. And what was your favorite between Chicago, Milwaukee, and what was Madison? It was Milwaukee uh, for some funny reason because I made a lot of friends over there. It's a very yeah. friendly place. You walk into a bar, you have a beer, and you come out with friends. And and uh, I think that was something really amazing about that town. Oh, that's amazing! I have heard so many nice things about Milwaukee. Yeah, the beer, the beer is really good. Very cool. And downtown Chicago, you know, by the Loop, that's my best around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I could actually see the Millennium Park from my apartment window, so it was pretty cool. Oh, so let's see. Um, tell me your favorite thing about what you do in Agile coaching. All right. So I was actually re uh, reading about this a, a few days ago. So it's not necessarily about Agile coaching, but it's a, it's a, it's a saying that I use often in many things that uh, my favorite thing in the world to do is to do what others say I cannot do. So, <laughs> what do you love about that? <laughs> so very often when you're an agile coach, and sh I'm sure you have far more experience in that than I have, one of the things that you hear the most in an organization, in a team is that, you know, this cannot be done. The no is, the no is something which is actually very revealing about what is going on in the organization. 
And uh, whenever whenever you hear that as a coach, possibly your first intention should be to understand why, you know, where that no is coming from. It, it might be coming from a place of uh, resistance to, you know, just doing something differently. There could be a cultural issue in the way. There could also be something to do with the way the process has been crafted in that organization for a while. But you need to understand that. And chances are, if you need to break a behavior, you need to really figure out where the resistance is coming from and only then perhaps you can find a way to get around it. So the no is just the beginning of the conversation. And uh, I like hearing that in my, in my interactions with teams as well as you know, uh, senior management in any organization. So I will go with that. That's so interesting. I think I'm hearing exactly what you said, which is you're both a teacher and a learner. So when you step into that learner role and get really curious about where the no is coming from, I agree, and I think uh, uh, I'll be preaching to the choir when you know when I'm talking to uh, the group of our EQS consultants here. But as an agile coach, it's actually quite dangerous to step into the shoes of a teacher uh, because the moment you take on that pedantic role, what will happen is that possibly people will start either listening to you or ignoring you, but they may not really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you really need to possibly be with the team as a silent presence. Uh, maybe influence the behavior rather than standing up on a soapbox and telling that you know this is agile and this is not agile. And uh, if you can somehow avoid doing that and still be with the team and you know kind of gain their trust, uh, I believe there are greater chances of success uh, coming your way. It's, 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 your choice of words is so interesting. It's the key word be with. Be with the team. Yes. In a mindful kind of way. Because if you're in a pedantic mode teaching, then it's not a long jump into dogmatism. It isn't. Right. It isn't. It's not a long jump into the stage on stage. You don't want an agile, obviously, versus the guide on the side. So I think of it as the difference between, like, uh, you know, Star Wars, like there's Luke Skywalker, and then there's Yoda. And, and you know, the, yeah, go ahead. The, the funny thing is that you have that element even in the agile community as well. So we have so many people who worship frameworks, and I've had the opportunity of being trained by some, uh, you know, some of the leading luminaries of agility in the world. And while they have a responsibility and a and a business need as well, I guess, to kind of harp on what they have created. I don't think it's fair for an agile coach to be married to a framework, and sometimes I see that happening. In, in our community as well. So, you know, you, you may have seen that as well. There's a blog post praising safe. There's a blog post saying why it doesn't work. Uh, I don't think that's really what we are meant to do. We are meant to, you know, understand the framework, figure out where, uh, you know, it can be applied. And chances are maybe it can never be applied in its truest sense. So you'll probably marry a lot of concepts from different places and apply them. But the moment you fall into the trap of, you know, that, you know, Scrum is better than Kanban or safe is better than less, I think we are kind of already losing the war over there. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're being when we do that. And I've been guilty of that just years ago and not recently. But uh, then we kind of fall into dogmatism and then, then we can have like religious warfare. You know, right. my religion of Agile is better than yours, whatever. And, and you said that's not what we're meant to do. What are we meant to do as Agile? Okay, so I don't think any organization, you know, except for Agile consultancies, is meant to be in the business of implementing Agile. So if you're going to a client site, 
the client is not meant to exist so that they can implement agile practices. The basis or the reason for which they are implementing agile is to get better business results. So whether they use agile for that, whether they use waterfall for that and whatever works for them is their process and it, it suits them. Our job is to figure out what works in their context and apply that and help them move in that direction. Our job is not to simply go there and sell Scrum or Kanban or Safe or whatever it might be. Our job is simply to tell them, you know, that we are here to understand your process, uh, learn it along with you and maybe figure out a better way of doing things. And if while doing so, we are also able to inculcate better practices uh, in, you know, at the team level, at the, at, the, at the management level, I think that we are doing our job well. Otherwise, I don't think we are. I, I totally agree. And it makes me curious, you know, that's the tricky part is, um, you know, we all know the frameworks. We assume that's basically that we all know through. Um, and we all know, hopefully, that you can't just go in and smack a framework on a client, that every client has different variables. And so I think the way you phrased it is how do you figure out what works for the client? So that's what I'm always trying to figure out. I'm curious about your view. What are some ways that you have found that work well to figure out what framework of Agile works best for a particular client? Right. So, uh, so in my approach, in some cases, uh, you know, the client is adamant about a certain framework. So they come to you asking your help in implementing a framework uh, that, you know, I have, we have evaluated SAFE, we have evaluated CMMI, if you're talking about the old fashioned world, and do you want to implement that? Uh, so I think if you start questioning it at that point in time, you might not have an audience because they have come to you with a problem statement and you start That's questioning true. them. You'll, That's true. Yeah. We want you to implement Scrum or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, what has worked well for me, uh, you know, a couple of times by now in, uh, is that I go with the flow initially. My job there is to be a part of the system first so that they can trust me. So maybe for the first few weeks or maybe a month, I will probably try to implement things the way they are imagining it to be uh, while, you know, doing the right thing as per the framework. And while doing so, not only would I have, you know, get a better understanding of that organization, and maybe I'll also gain the trust of that organization that, you know, uh, maybe I can help them in some other things as well. And only then you start nudging them into what you consider to be a more appropriate framework. Let me give you an example here. So I have consulted in an organization where uh, the CXO had this vision that the entire company should work on Scrum. Scrum is a great framework. I've been working with it for a decade as well, but it doesn't really suit all kinds of projects. If you do not have the ability to plan even for a two week long sprint, then there is no point in attempting Scrum. But here, since the CXO wanted that to happen, the teams were doing anything possible to get into the Scrum way of working. And uh, so if, if I probably, you know, went to the CXO and started talking to uh, him about why it's not a great idea, I don't think I would have even gotten my foot into the door. Uh, so the point was to let it go for a couple of sprints, show the data that it's not really working very well. And over a period of time, try to let them know that time boxing is not necessarily a condition for you to be agile. And uh, over a period of time, some of the teams did move away from Scrum and we ended up doing Kanban. But that's where the whole, that whole thing about dogma that we're talking about, sometimes the dogma is within the organization as well. That if a CIO, <laughs> so if a CIO has said something, you need to follow it. It doesn't really matter what you do. So at the end of the day, I think uh, it's, it's a very simple thing for, uh, to say, but very hard to, to implement. I'm kind of uh, sounding like Scrum now, but this is what you do. 
you basically try to first gain the trust of your stakeholders. And once you have that, then you take them down the more difficult path. So it's difficult to administer bitter medicine to a group of people who barely know you. But once you gain their trust, then maybe they are willing to you know, try more things with you. And that's when probably you know, the real learning will happen for you as well as the organization. What's important to you about trust and what does it bring? Uh, so trust basically is uh, the, the essence of many of the agile frameworks and I'm struggling with it in my current implementation as well. Uh, I think trust basically, let me, let me uh, deconstruct what trust means. Trust essentially means that you're expecting that everyone is doing things with the best of their intentions. Nobody is out there to harm anyone, right? So it's a, it's a culture of uh, not blaming a person, uh, assuming that the person did not try enough. It is essentially, it is essentially meaning that if something has gone wrong, there could have been some reason behind it. Our job is to find that reason and figure out a way so that that doesn't happen again. Now, mm. so how does that, how do you inculcate that? It's very easy to say that, you know, build trust among different teams, but let me give you a scenario, which I see uh, as an increasingly common scenario in many organizations that not only do you have the company, you know, and, and the whole uh, silos within the organization, you have departments within the organization, you have a business site comprising of sales, marketing, HR, you have an internal IT department, the silos are there. And usually amongst all of these silos and within them, there are questions about who's doing what. And now you introduce a multi-vendor scenario in there where now much of your development is being done by multiple vendors. So first you were dealing with lack of trust within the organization. And now you have scrum teams, which have people from the client organization, so to say, and you also have multiple vendors as a part of the same team. And these vendors might actually be competitors. And then when you try to apply scrum in there and you know, the whole finger pointing can actually be a very funny thing to watch sometimes. So how do you build that trust? It takes, a, it takes some time and it takes a whole lot of maturity on, on the part of many individuals not to do the first uh, uh, reaction uh, which comes to their mind when something goes wrong. So one of the things I always uh, tell some of uh, the people I've worked with, and I was actually told that by one of my mentors earlier, that when you're upset, uh, pause for a while. Uh, Don't say the first thing. Don't say the first thing that comes into your mind. So when you have a reaction, which is, which is you know, immediate about something that was going wrong, pause for a while reflect if uh, what you're about to say can help the cause. If it doesn't, then probably don't say it in the way you, you want to say it, but say it in a way that can you know, help things move forward. And I think that helps. If, if, uh, if you have a group of vendors and, and, and people from business side and clients uh, and things are not going the way you want them to, chances are that if you allow them to settle in to the process for a while without blaming each other, the, the understanding grows over a period of time. And it's a cliche thing for a consultant to say, and I'm sure every one of us has heard that for a million times, but that's what the mindset change is. We always say agile is a mindset change, but that is where the mindset change comes in, that we are assuming we are building a system of trust. And if that doesn't work out well, then probably the implementation is just a set of checklists with a, a lot of tick boxes about what has been done as per the process. And the process is probably still just another process, not really changing the organization. Um, and so in a way you're, you're talking about building emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some ways that you do that with clients that can build the emotional intelligence and the behavior? Right. I think uh, uh, 
so I was reading an email from uh, from Piyush yesterday on the EQS group. I'm a very silent reader. I don't really respond back, but I do read the emails that come our way. And he says something very nice, that as a coach, we don't really transform individuals. We basically look at, right. So, and I, I cannot agree more with that. All we are basically doing is we are helping people uncover better ways of doing things, but that does not necessarily mean that we have the ability or a magical power to transform the way a person can think. Uh, but what has usually helped me in helping another person gain a perspective of what the other person might be doing is to usually do something that helps them see things uh, from their ways. So whatever to, uh, you know, tools are there in a toolkit, whether you're talking about empathy maps, whether you're talking about creating personas, whether you're talking about getting in actual users and telling my developers about what challenges they face, uh, I think those are steps that help you uh, make the, your development team understand what might be going on with the, uh, in the minds or the days of their actual users and vice versa. So sometimes, for example, uh, uh, we always talk about personas for uh, end users or business users. Sometimes it's also useful for your business team members to understand what does your developers day look like. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. What a right, yeah. right. So, so, and that helps, uh, for example, uh, Pretty recently, I had a product owner screaming and shouting in a meeting or a telecon that, you know, you guys are not doing enough. And uh, uh, we just had a long chat later on with that person. And the basic thing I was trying to tell that lady is that these guys are putting in 12 hour work days, doing the stuff that is needed for us. And maybe if uh, we help them move along in that direction, maybe things could, you know, actually work out well. I don't know whether I succeeded, but all I realized was that the next time she was talking to the team, it was, she was a little bit more accepting of a fact that, you know, there were delays and there were problems in, in something. So I think the trust and the flow of communication, they flow both ways. And if, if our job as a consultant or a coach is to make that communication flow happen, uh, I think, I think uh, we might have succeeded in some small way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, looking at you with all of your experience, makes me curious to ask kind of an unusual question, maybe. If you... Picture yourself as a, a fresher, you just graduated from college, and what did you major in, some form of engineering? I am a computer science engineer, then I majored in marketing and finance, so it's a very long story how I got where I am right now. Oh, okay, and maybe a double major in gaming? I, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, um, and then here you are, Infosys, your first job. What is one thing that you wish you would have known on your first day at Infosys 15 years ago? No, that's, an, that's a very interesting question. I think, uh, all right, it's kind of weird. Uh, so they say that the best laid plans of mice and men, right? So I did an MBA in marketing and finance and I joined Infosys in the insurance domain because I was a finance specialist and uh, insurance was my forte. So if somebody had told me that 15 years down the line, my line would have nothing really to do with marketing or finance, I probably wouldn't have believed them. So I think, so I think a career is about making choices uh, depending on where your interests go. And as you change as an individual, as you mature over the years, uh, your interests also change. So a career is not this well-defined, well-thought-of thing. So don't get too hung up about it. Uh, I, think, I think the point in a, in a career is that do you learn as you go along. And if you enjoy it, do a little bit more of it. And uh, 
I think I may have saved myself a lot of grief if I had realized that earlier. Uh, and that is what I will tell myself. But, you know, short-term planning, iterative planning, that works in a career too. Short-term iterative planning, and that your decisions may shift over time. And if you look at your career over the past 15 years, what's um, one of the best decisions you have made? Um, I think I'm very happy that, uh, so process has been one of my uh, greatest loves all these years. So I've been in process consulting in and out. But I think where I've been very fortunate is that I've also seen the other side. I've also been the recipient of process consulting from other process consultants as a development manager, as a project manager. So when, uh, yes, so uh, pretty much seven to eight years of my life, I've managed fairly large development teams as well. So when someone talks process dogma to me, you know, my, my ears go up, my answers go up, that, you know, this is probably very good on th in theory, but it's very hard to implement that in practice. So I'm glad that I have that balance at this point in time. So I wouldn't say that I was a great manager or a great consultant, but it definitely gives me a perspective of how things might actually be applied in a real project. And that possibly gives uh, me a greater uh, opportunity to engage with the teams I'm consulting with as well, because I can talk their language. Uh, and I think that's something which I'm really glad that happened. It wasn't intentional again, uh, but it happened and I'm happy that it did. You've got that on the ground experience to speak the language, know what's, what's true and what's, and you've got your BS meter. <laughs> and I have to say this, I had absolutely wonderful mentors all through my career. Uh, at every, in every, every group that I've been a part of, there have been people who have taken care of me. Uh, and uh, in many cases, uh, I was given opportunities because somebody else was watching out for me, you know, creating a career path for me. So I think that is something which many people say and it's for, entirely believe in that you never really know that, you know, uh, within the organization who might be able to help you out and point you in a direction that you might not be aware of, but it existed. So uh, I think uh, uh, doing something which helps you create that network in the organization is essential. What advice would you have for people who are watching this thinking, oh, I might like to have a mentor. How, how would I get started? I think, uh, first of all, I think uh, advising the people watching this particular webcast, so to say, is something that I'm unwilling to do. Uh, I respect many of the people in EQS a lot and they know it. Uh, but I think the main thing is just be, just being helpful. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a zero sum game. Agile coaching is not a zero sum game. If you help somebody today, that person will help you out tomorrow and that's the way it works. Uh, so just being a normal, helpful individual is usually enough for you to build friends in the community. And uh, at least that has worked very well for me so far. Yeah, it seems like a lot of it's about building relationships. Absolutely. Rule of karma, you know, what you put out there will come back. It might be tomorrow, it might be three weeks from today, but So as we kind of, yeah, so as we kind of draw to a close, what would, um, gosh, I, you know, I keep thinking about that interesting comment you made about how you're both a teacher and a learner. And so I think my question to you is, um, what have you learned? What, what is one thing that you've learned in the course of your career that's still with you on a daily basis? Uh, on a daily basis, as I said, the, one of the things which one of my mentors told me, holding back on your first reaction is helpful. I, I'm a very short-tempered person by nature. So if you're working with me, you probably wouldn't notice that. But there are moments when I feel like losing it, but you hold back. Uh, 
but what i what really works for me usually uh, uh, as a as a on a, uh, on a daily basis in my job uh, as an agile coach is that question of trust as well the thing we were discussing a little while ago uh, i believe that the person in front of me is trying to do a good job uh this was not always the case in my career i think i was i used to get uh, swayed by angry comments or good comments i think uh, a certain amount of equanimity is needed that people will say things people will react in different ways to your ideas some might like it some might not like it if you believe in it and if you think it's good for the organization it's your job to convince them and shepherd them in that direction so retaining that balance on a daily basis i think uh, is something which is essential you know your words equanimity and balance really kind of stick with me and it reminds me of the work and by the name of William Yuri who are why i don't know if you've heard of him i have but, okay so he wrote help me remember the title of those three books getting to why? yes getting past no and more of a positive right you know? so this these words actually are gotham buddhas so they they come from the practice of meditation called vipassana vipassana which okay. basically talk yes so which basically talks about treating life with equanimity and taking things as they come not treating a negative emotion or a positive emotion in any different way and uh, treating things uh, in the same way so the concept comes from there and it it seems like this daily process of you know how do you step into a place of equanimity and spaciousness inner spaciousness whether it's vipassana right. or yeah and and remain in that place and give yourself permission to say oops i stepped out of the place but now how do i get back into balance whether as a coach building trust or in our own life practices so thank you for bringing that up oh it's been an absolute pleasure being on this uh, this was actually a lot of fun to be honest yeah likewise for me too yeah and and it's It's great to get to know people in EQS because we have such an interesting group and this is one small way that we can learn about each other. Absolutely, 100% agree.